1: Welcome to episode 1648, 1,648, and thank you for joining us today. Yesterday was St. Valentine's Day, which oddly has a violent history, although it is the holiday for love and romance. But what about spending? We're talking about economics, of course. So Valentine's Day spending plummeted by around 21% even as real inflation. Notice I said real inflation, because you know inflation is manipulated in three basic ways, by weighting, substitution, and hedonic indexing. Hey, I'm actually kind of singing. (laughs) Don't try that again. (laughs) You're thinking, Jason, if you sing, I will stop listening, and I will go listen to one of those shows with a much less informative host than you. I don't want you to do that, because I want you to be well-informed, so I will stop my... Very bad attempt at singing. (laughs) All right, so Valentine's spending down 21%, inflation in real terms is up much more than the government would have us believe. Uh, So uh, dating apps have about 49 million active users in the United States. And the total U.S. single adult population is 128 million. So when you look at those numbers, Valentine's Day spending is down significantly. Of course, we have a strained economy, but it is uneven, as we have talked about so, so many times. But we look to Bloomberg for some info on housing prices and Housing prices have posted another record gain. Thank you to uh, Naresh for sharing this article. Topping the 2005 peak, it says. Now, some have said we already topped the 2005 peak, but does that even matter? That is my question to you. Do you have an answer? Does it matter if we have surpassed the 2005 peak in housing prices. Well, of course it matters, but does it mean that we're on we're skating on thin ice? That we're in a bubble? Not necessarily. Not necessarily why? Because you have listened to my informative episodes and you have hopefully not listened to the people copying my thought leadership. They're out there, folks. You know, you always want to listen to the original, the original, the original who had the original thought on this. And that is, of course, yours truly, because what really matters is mortgage payments adjusted for interest rates, inflation, and housing prices. And when you adjust all of that, because then you know the real number, you know that housing is actually cheaper than it was back at the prior peak, in terms of a mortgage payment basis. Because nobody buys a house, and when I say nobody, of course it's a figure of speech, there are like three people. Three people last year, and there might be four people this year. (laughs) <laughs> of course I'm joking, uh, that will buy a house based on the price, whereas most are buying it based on the monthly mortgage payment. And that is surprisingly affordable. Yes, it is. So that would that would indicate that the concerns of a bubble are not very uh very important yet. They will be because this will not go on forever nothing does. What goes up must come down. That is the reality of life, of markets, of everything. But I would say at this juncture, I feel very confident in saying that this market, unless there's some crazy black swan thing, and hey, we're all familiar with, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, we're all familiar with his black swan book, which is excellent, by the way, I'd highly recommend it. But the one I would recommend even more that is better than the Black Swan book is Skin in the Game. If you're only going to read one Taleb book, Skin in the Game is the one you must read and you will know why yours truly has been promoting the idea of commandment number three. Trace commandment number three thou shalt maintain control do not relinquish control to some bankster and he talks a lot about banksters in that book taleb is good good really really intellectual guy so uh, check that out. Skin in the game, very good book. Okay, so uh US housing prices fueled by the lowest mortgage rates in history rose at the fast pace, uh, the fastest pace on record, surpassing the peak from the property boom in 2005. The median price of a single family home climbed by 14.9% to $315,000 in the fourth quarter, and that was the biggest surge uh, in data going back to 1990, according to NAR, the National Association of Realtors. So uh, there you go. That's that's pretty amazing. Now, uh, this, of course, is very uneven because the section of the country, I think you can tell when I'm reading and I'm just talking to you, right? Just talking now, not reading. The section of the country that led the way, now this this is odd. I'm about to tell you, this is odd. But there's a reason for it. So a little bit of an oddity here. This is not the section of the country that is really, you know, sort of a macro future in terms of housing prices. But since you saw this shift and we are undergoing right now the largest wealth transfer in history, I think, Maybe that's an opinion. I don't know. I don't have a lot of facts on that. Where's your facts, Hartman? Well, I don't really have them yet, because we're still in the midst of it. And you'd have to ask, compared to what? And that would be a super complicated question to answer. But look, don't panic. Just use the common sense, right? You look outside, you look at the world, and you think, everybody's doing exactly what I predicted back in mid-February of last year, which was super early in the game, that there would be this mass migration to suburban markets. And what do you know? It's happening. It is happening. It's been happening. It's not news anymore. Not news anymore. But why would the Northeast, which is the not future market, not the market to benefit from big macro trends, lead the way in this market appreciation statistic. Well, it did. And that's because buyers rushed to the suburbs. The good old burbs who are, and the burbs are very in vogue nowadays. they are they are leading the charge, Fairfield County, Connecticut, Greenwich, okay? They saw huge the Hamptons, right? You know, as this money flooded out, of New York City and these high priced urban areas, high density urban areas that are basically hell on earth <laughs> to some degree, uh, sadly, it really pushed prices up there. And you have a big concentration of that wealth leaving the, the, the city. And so there you go, that really led, led the charge. So um, the average working family is struggling to contend with home prices that are rising faster than income. Lawrence Yoon said, now that's the chief economist of the National Association of Realtors. You've heard him on the show before. This sidelines a consumer from becoming an actual buyer. I think he means a renter from becoming a home buyer, right? Causing them to miss out on accumulating wealth from home ownership. Well, one thing he said there that was very misleading, and I want to point it out, very misleading, not intentional. Okay, let's look at exactly what he said kind of like looking at exactly what Trump said in that ridiculous waste of time and taxpayer money that they just finished, that impeachment number two fiasco that, uh, you know, that Trump won, as he should have. So here's the exact thing Lawrence Yun said. The average working family is struggling to contend with home prices underline the word prices, that are rising faster than income, underline the word income. Again, not the right comparison, Lawrence Yoon. What he should have said is that the average working family is benefiting from low home mortgage payments adjusted for interest rates, the lowest in history, and inflation, which diminishes the impact of those payments, that are declining as income increases. That's what he should have said. That would have been a more accurate statement. Not intentional, you know, because I get that most people make a shallow comparison as he did as most people would okay it's not i'm not like getting on his case about it because that's what everybody in the media says well the home prices are rising faster than income but who cares only if you're buying cash does that matter okay and you know the vast majority of home buyers especially first-time home buyers are of course getting a mortgage they're not paying cash duh All right, all right, all right. Okay, so we've got a bunch of other stuff to go into, of course, as always. But our guest today is my friend Eric, who is here to talk about the overall market. We had a very interesting discussion when I interviewed him. He is a specialist in short-term rentals. And as you know, many of the people out there with doing the Airbnb thing, the short-term rental thing, they got really, really hurt during the pandemic, okay? But some did really well. I'm happy to report that our people, we, we've only dabbled in the short-term rental market. You know that, I've talked about it before, St. Augustine, Florida. Our clients did really, really well. In fact, extremely well. You've heard some of them on the show talking about it. Because there is this certain profile of short-term rentals that has been uh, really well insulated and has ridden out the storm very, very nicely. So we're going to talk about that and a whole bunch of other items, a whole host of other items. be sure to reach out to one of our investment counselors to help you plan your real estate portfolio. And uh, they can invite you to our various resources, webinars, classes. We have a lot of great free resources. So even if you're not ready to make any changes or make any purchases, reach out to one of our investment counselors by going to jasonhartman.com and filling out any web form there, looking at properties, checking out other resources, videos, etc. Or if you're in the United States, you can of course call us at 1-800-HARTMAN. That's 1-800-HARTMAN, US number only. Otherwise, catch us on the internet at jasonhartman.com. And here is the interview with Eric as we discuss kind of the broader real estate market and short-term rental markets specifically. <laughs> It's my pleasure. Welcome Eric Moeller. He is the founder of short term rental legends. And uh, a lot of people have expressed interest in short term rentals and the industry and what it's doing. So we're going to get a bird's eye view. There's a lot of changes, a lot of things changing. A lot of people have uh, really had to pivot their business. And I'm looking looking forward to hearing more. Eric, welcome. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. Doing good. Good. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's good to have you. So uh, give us the bird's eye view on the short-term rental industry. A lot has changed, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's been 2020 uh, <laughs> it's been a roller coaster over a year, not <laughs> only for everybody, I mean, but obviously the uh, short-term rental industry is one of the first industries to get, to get hammered by the lockdowns, right the global lockdowns. The, the first thing countries stopped doing and restricted was travel. So obviously, most of our business is is ran off of travel, especially international travel. So yeah, yeah. Early in the year, the short-term rental industry seemed like it was collapsing. And then we spent a few months really kind of studying and seeing where where the new trends of travel is leading and how this industry was going to pull out of it. And it's kind of blossomed this new version of short-term rentals. So yeah, there's a couple of rabbit holes we can get into there, but we watch literally in one year time span. The industry collapse. Us thinking Airbnb, the company was going to collapse. Hosts, you know, from all around the world was pulling off of Airbnb and just you know was fed up with the company on how they were dealing with uh, the COVID situation. All the way to now, a new type of traveler, a new length of stay, new different types of business models within short-term rentals. All the way to what was it last week, two weeks ago? Airbnb finally in their IPO and being valued at hundred billion dollars. So. It's been a crazy, crazy year, man.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think what it proves, I mean, well, let me ask you. So it's been a crazy year. I got that. But overall, you know, for you and other short-term rental operators, how's business? If I'm just yeah. going to ask, like, is it is it good? Is it half of what it was the year before? Is it off 25%, you know, like revenue, you, yeah. you know, not activity, revenue? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, two major things happen. One is urban operators, and that's really where Airbnb and the whole short-term rental boom really took off in the last few years. Are uh, individuals, investors, operators taking over full buildings and apartments and condos in center cities around the around the world. Those are urban markets, which were doing extremely well pre-COVID, uh, have pretty much collapsed, right? People don't wanna be in the city right now. No one's traveling to the city. The reasons for you to go to cities are all shut down. Restaurants shut down, You know all of that stuff. There's no events, things like that. So the urban markets aren't doing well at all. There may be some operators that are just getting by but no one's thriving from what, what I can tell in cities. In the what we call drive-in markets, which are outside of major cities, an hour, two-hour, three-hour drive from the major cities are doing extremely well. These are, they're having the operators that uh, that are in our mastermind, SCR Legends, uh, that are in like the mountain towns, the city. Uh, I mean, mountain towns, lake towns, deserts, beach towns are having the best year they've ever had expanding, getting more units, higher occupancy, and higher rates as well. And what's, what's interesting is we watched the average stay of a guest on Airbnb go from three days prior, three days, upwards of nine days now. And there are certain markets where that has doubled, where it's uh, you know two weeks, 20 days, things like that. So that just means more money, more occupancy, and the ability to continue to scale.
1: And how much lower is that rate for the extended stay typically? Is is the operator of that unit cutting the rate by 20%, 25% for the longer stay? Or how, how's that working out?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we're seeing it, again, short-term rentals, like any, anything else in real estate, right? It depends on the market and the asset, but we're seeing anywhere between 20% and 50% on a monthly basis. For example, I'm currently in New Jersey. I rented an Airbnb here four bedroom, got my parents together. We flew out to California and we're we're here for the month of December. And I've been doing this. I've been renting an Airbnb for 30 days for the last six months and living in different markets around the country. This property we rented for 50% of listing for the entire month, right? So, and this is consistent across all the properties we've stayed in. So you'll see that. You'll see discounts anywhere between 20. In urban markets, you'll see upwards of 80% where hosts just wanna get somebody in there to pay the debt. But yeah, on average, I would say 20 to
1: 50%. Now, and was that a result of you negotiating with the host or was that just something they'd offered on on the website?
0: Yeah, so Airbnb, one of the biggest pivots for Airbnb was stepping into 30-day stays right? So this is something that they never really offered before. So now on Airbnb, they have a section when you go to search a property, you you punch in where you want to go, the dates, all of that. And then they give you options. Do you want, you know, what are the dates or do you want a monthly stay or do you want a room share? Right. And now this 30 day stay, if you book a property for uh, 28 days or more, they work in certain discounts already. So Especially now, right? I'm in New Jersey. I'm in Long Beach Island. It's a seasonal market. So all the properties down here are completely empty during the winter. So he's happy to get somebody in here for the month. Right. So he already put up on the market. If you book this, I'll give you a 40% discount. I reached out to him and said, Hey, this is my budget for the month. Can you meet this? And he's like, Yep. Okay. Come on out. I'll be happy to have you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right. All right. Right. But, A little bit of negotiation, um, but I wouldn't, you know, for anybody who wants to use this as a way to travel all of that, I wouldn't go down the path of hard negotiations with, uh, with hosts. That's something that we had to deal a lot with this year due to COVID. A lot of people were just negotiating rates. We we already build in rates based on re, like revenue management um methods. So if you see a good rate that's on there and they're offering a discount for the monthly stay or whatever that is, you know, you you could knock off a little bit, but I wouldn't go in there trying to try to get it for pennies on the dollar.
1: Right, right. You know w- what's so interesting about what you said about the do you call it driving markets or drive in markets? What was the
0: exact drive, phrase drive in movie? Movie Oh, deals? drive in like a drive in movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Because, because in, I
1: I didn't have a name for it, but back in late February, early March, I predicted that. I I just basically said that, you know, look, we have our one short-term rental market, St. Augustine, Florida, and I thought of it like this, Eric. It's so interesting that it actually happened too because I said, you know, any Airbnb that is in a place where people can drive to. So four hours or less generally is kind of what I consider a drive, right? If it's over that, then it's like, you got to think about it. Okay. But four hours people will do. And if they can get a different experience from where they live currently. In other words, if they live in Atlanta or Orlando and they go to St. Augustine, Florida, they've got a really, truly different experience. They feel like they're on vacation, right? Mm -hmm. So it can't necessarily be from, oh, you know, I live in Orange County, California, where I used to live, and I'm going to go get an Airbnb in San Diego, now that is different, sure, but it's not dramatically different, right? It's still like you're you're at the beach in both places, maybe, right? So would would you say that that held true? Is my interpretation correct?
0: A hundred percent. So are are you familiar with Chip Conley?
1: Yes, uh, he yep. wrote a couple of books, right?
0: Uh, yep. Yeah, he wrote a. Uh... Peak, which is his uh, one of my yeah. favorite books. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I,
1: I read those years ago. Yeah, it's a long time yeah. ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he's also uh, that he's a personal advisor, mentor to Brian Chesky of uh, Airbnb, mm-hmm. uh, and he worked as uh, the head of hospitality, global hospitality for Airbnb for I don't know seven years or so. But he was he was on our mastermind when when everything started shutting down, right? So when the whole industry came to this place where we're like we have no idea if short-term rentals is even going to exist or Airbnb is going to exist after this. And he, he kind of coined this, uh, this phrase that I'm currently living and doing myself, which is called home instead of home. Right? So before we heard uh you know, home away from home type of travel mindset. Now what, what COVID has created in the travel industry is home instead of home. So to your point exactly is individuals families, couples, they're able to, they wanna leave the city, they wanna get out of a dense populated area and get into nature-filled markets. But they want to also tap into properties where they have the comforts of home. So literally, I, I run my business, my my health routines, everything is exactly the same as if I was living home in San Diego. But I've been living in Boise, Idaho, Park City, Utah, uh, Austin, Texas, and now Long Beach Island, and l- creating my home here instead of at home. Right. So these markets where you can drive outside the major cities, get into nature. Because if you're in the city and you're locked down in an apartment or a condo, you have it nothing fun. Yeah. It's driving you crazy, right? <laughs> lots of lots of crazy, crazy things happening in cities right now. Right, yeah. uh, people want to get away from it, man. They want to disconnect, and but they also have a job to do. They're working from home. Twenty twenty has been it's been a year for uh, for the history books, right? No and question, actually. Especially for this industry, and this is why I love this industry so much. It's like we and you said this uh, uh, yesterday on the mastermind. It's just like we're a room full of um, uh, industry, full of problem solvers, and able to pivot and able to figure out these new trends. And it happened really, really quick. So it's kind of loop back to uh, your point. Yeah, these secondary markets, these drive-in markets, are doing in- incredibly well, and not just here in the states on like a global. Bet, how
1: much? How much better are they doing revenue-wise than they were a year earlier, for example?
0: Yeah, so I would say they're probably closing out this year right around the same because they got hit so everyone got hit so hard right, in the beginning yeah. with the lockdowns.
1: And then um, there were however, these rules that, you know, you you yeah. had to leave space in between guests or I wanted to say tenants, but guests, right? Yes, you, yeah, like you had to leave a day or two between them where they said you had to keep it vacant, right? There were mm-hmm. crazy things like that. Yeah, go ahead.
0: And even just full lockdowns, right? You know, but for example, we have, you know, markets in like Joshua Tree uh, California, Ottawa, California, all the national parks around the country. Uh, even in Australia, we have a lot of hosts that are in uh, Australia in our group uh, markets outside of the major cities like this one market orange is doing extremely well. They're doing 90 to 100% occupancy across all their properties, right? And their rates might be slightly lower. But the occupancy catches up for that because you could prior to COVID, we're running these higher rates at a 70% occupancy. but now you. Have have a ninety to one hundred percent occupancy, so right. they're doing extremely well, and that's our you know that's going into our new business model. So I shifted from being the the urban operator running one hundred short term rentals in these cities to now going into twenty twenty one. We are launching a new property brand where we're going to actually be acquiring uh, land outside national parks and building experience based tiny home communities. Because people want to, outside of the home instead of home, they want to have that experience, right? They want to tap into nature, they want to have unique experiences, and they have the ability, if it's set up for workplace, they have the ability to travel, work, and live somewhere else for a bit. So that's our new market, uh, new plan that we're tapping into. Um, So yeah, there's a lot going on in the industry. Those secondary markets are extremely exciting.
1: Yeah. uh, So another thing, thank you for that, by the way. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is the comment you made earlier about how people were upset with Airbnb. And, you know, I think I know what you're going to say, but... Uh, I'll just tee it up a little bit with my own opinion, since you're in the business. (laughs) Maybe you don't want to say some of this stuff, uh, but you can comment on what I say. I view a lot of these big tech companies as these like virtue signaling companies that give away other people's money. And, you know, Airbnb has done that many times. They get to go on the news and make headlines as though they're doing something so good yet the people paying for it are all the hosts that just lost all the money. It's not Airbnb, Airbnb's contribution to this, you know, virtue signaling activity of, oh, well, we're letting people cancel their reservations with no fee or, you know, but you know, it's the hosts that are paying for that. It's not Airbnb, you know, it's like the host should get the, at least the credit and the positive PR, right? Is that what you were saying when you said people were upset with the platform and, and and tell, tell us about that
0: yeah exactly first of all I think I got very upset with Airbnb across exactly what you just said they they put in processes or um, procedures to allow guests to cancel without any question without any you just say hey I'm not coming give my money back and Airbnb just sends the money to them. And the host had zero say, zero negotiations, nothing in part of their business. So they felt like they had no control over their business. Now, look at people like, and they yeah. did it. You look yeah. at not only myself and, you know, people in my mastermind that run hundreds of short term rentals, they've lost tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars overnight due to Airbnb, just returning their money back. And these are companies that have made millions of dollars with Airbnb, but then also the mom and pops that, you know, they only have one or two properties or maybe the mom and pop that had, you know, renting out their spare bedroom to pay for their mortgage right overnight that income disappeared. Right. So I was extremely upset with that. The industry was extremely upset with that. Plus everything else that you just said, it was just, it became a a very politically charged. A lot of decisions were just driven through politics, but then also setting up for this IPO that they were going for uh, towards the end of the year. Right. Um, Yeah.
1: And I I definitely want to talk about the IPO in a moment, uh, but go ahead and just finish what you're saying on that.
0: So So that's, that's where the industry got very, very upset. And I think people very quickly started realizing that we can't rely, regardless if you have one property or if you have a hundred, can't rely on OTAs, online travel agencies, right? You can't rely Mm -hmm. on Airbnb or booking.com or VRBO. You have to start building your own book of business. And it forced us to go from these individuals that quickly built these businesses on Airbnb's platform to now stepping back and saying like, Oh, I got to create a real company here. I got to figure out how to acquire my own travelers. I got to figure out how to remarket to my travelers. So there was a lot of shifts that were going on, but that, that was the major, the major change, what pissed off the entire hosting community but you know to w- with that said i took a step back afterwards and i'm like i'm like man i can't even imagine the decision making on the for the ceo and the executives of airbnb to figure out how to deal with this challenge, right to figure out how to keep this this uh, organization going with all these different cancellations and the risk that comes along with it. So not that I'm sticking up for them, what I'm saying is I feel that they took very emo- they took huge emotional decisions that then the the result was something that they were not expecting, which was host revolting against them. Right. The guests were happy, but the host, they put so many hosts out of business by doing that. Then they rolled out a host uh, host fund where the where the the owners of themselves have invested money and they took a a bunch of cash and they created this whole political stunt uh, media stunt where they (laughs) were paying back another virtue signaling opportunity. It was all, it was all politics. It was all media. And, uh, we did the math on it and it was like, there, there was like less than 0.5% of hosts were going to get, you know, a few hundred bucks from Airbnb. Uh, I don't know anybody who got anything substantial. Um, so it, it was a big it, political stunt.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I just think that is just so wrong of Airbnb, the way they've handled that. Because before all of this, you know, they always ruled in against the host, it seemed like. You know, yeah. some some guest comes in, they trash your property, and Airbnb's like, they won't do anything. They just, they just, you know, the host just has to take the pain. Uh, that's yeah. I've heard so many stories like that.
0: So let me touch on that real quick, because, you know, even though I'm beating up Airbnb and, you know, I was one of the individuals that were extremely upset with their decision making and their, you know, what they put in place, we have to take a step back and realize that they are also without them acquiring the guests, they, we, nobody on their platform has the ability to run the businesses that we can run on their, Mm -hmm. on their platform. So at the end of the day, their number one focus, it was the mom and pop host, but very quickly they became this big competitive, um, uh, in the market to compete for the travelers between booking.com, Expedia, all these other platforms now Google. So I do understand that them they're siding with the guests. I understand that, but it unfortunately put hosts in a position where we're like, all right, well, Airbnb, we we looked at Airbnb as our partner, but now their decision making cost the. It made us look at them as just a marketing channel versus a partner, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, I do yeah. see that changing slightly a bit. Um, I see the dynamic changing a bit, um, but I think that the whole-
1: dynamic moving in favor of the host is Airbnb like realizing without the host, they're never going to make any money. I mean,
0: I think they always, I think they always recognize that, but at the end of the day, I think it's more important to them to acquire the right customer, uh, which is the guest, right? Cause I uh-huh. think, yeah, I think without, without really dialing that in hundred percent us as hosts are going to really have a challenge building business, building a business on their platform. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, all in all, I mean, I, you know, I love Airbnb, but yeah, they're still a soft spot you know, a sort, you know, what
1: what, what needs to happen is, you know, we live in this world where any part of the tech world, these companies are so scalable that we have this winner take all system where, you know, it's Airbnb is huge. And then there's everybody else. Facebook is huge. And then there's like, you know, nobody you're paying attention to. Okay. And it's just not a a competitive market. And that's what needs to happen. So how do hosts build their own book of business to have that security? That's the question. And what other platforms, you know, do you like or recommend other than Airbnb?
0: Yeah. So what what I love about the shorts and rental industry, it's a bit different than the rest of the tech companies, right? So Airbnb is the the new young kid on the block the the sexy shiny object out there right that kind of reinvented the whole short-term rental industry, but they're major competitors in different markets around the country and around the world, right? So Airbnb is not as big in certain European markets compared to Booking.com. Booking.com dominates certain markets around the world, right? Then in the US, there are certain markets where uh, Verbo uh, really dominates over Airbnb, right? And it's all about the traveler, right? More families and and older uh, generations go towards Verbo or VRBO. I, v- I
1: never heard it called that way before. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody reads v- R- B- <laughs> VRBO.
0: Yeah, they, uh, they rebranded Verbo prior, uh, last year, I think it was. Okay. So home away VRBO that that whole that whole organization. So there is a lot of competitors. That's the thing. And now there's more and more competitors stepping up. Uh, Google is stepping into short-term rentals as far as the marketing engine.
1: Uh, Google cooking.com. won't be a force. I just guarantee it. I mean,
0: I don't think it won't be as as much as Airbnb because of the culture behind
1: it. Well, true, Airbnb has got the culture, no question. But um, just as an aside, not to go on a huge tangent here, but Google is a really smart, but evil company. <laughs> and what they do is they go into all these other businesses, and they fail at almost every one of them. But they do that to avoid the scrutiny that they're finally getting now that they should have had over 10 years ago of antitrust violations. Mm -hmm. And they are being sued left and right now. I'm so happy to see it. I hope they get broken up. Any company that controls 90% uh, or close to 90% of a country's search engine traffic should be broken up. That is insane that they could shape our thoughts, you know, influence elections like they do all of that stuff. The same is true with Facebook, Amazon, all the rest, you know. But but that's why they go into all these other businesses that always fail, because they just want to be able to say, we're not a surge company. We do all this stuff, you know, and, and, they, and they get the antitrust uh, regulators off the trail. Right. But fortunately, that may change soon. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, uh, I am a bit ignorant on, on that whole thing. So I would love to, uh, in another conversation, go deeper into that with you. Yeah. So do I, do I think that they're going to out compete Airbnb? No. I think Airbnb, especially with this latest IPO, is—they're here to stay. Yeah, things are constantly changing on their platform. Uh, the the owners, the the founders of the company, I think are are brilliant men who surround themselves with brilliant people. They ask the right questions. They take bold action. Some work out. Some don't. I agree with some. I agree with you know some of it. I don't agree with. But I think Airbnb, of course is the main platform. Now, so let me get back to the original question real quick. The, I always recommend if you're just getting started in shorts or rentals, Airbnb is the best platform to build your business. We can literally list one of your rental properties on Airbnb and start generating cash flow in a couple of hours, right? Which is insane. So I rec, I always recommend building your business on Airbnb if your market, if that's your, the main OTA in your marketplace. Until you get to a certain stage of your business where you have your systems, you have your teams, your clean crews, your your communication teams customer service teams, you have everything in place and you fully understand the the business of short-term rentals, which is, it's a hospitality business first versus anything else, it's not real estate, uh, it's not just a real estate investment uh, vehicle, right? It's a hospitality business. Once you build that and you get to a point where you have those systems running, then you can start expanding into these other OTAs like booking.com, Vrbo, you know, HomeAway. Uh, and then there's you know hundreds and hundreds of different websites that you can tap into. So I don't recommend going into these other OTAs until you build your business first on i always recommend airbnb because it's the easiest way of doing it right okay and what is the ota Um, acronym
1: again that Um,
0: online online travel agency
1: oh got it got it okay
0: yeah ota And then once we, you know, along with that, what I always recommend too, especially through COVID is as you're building your business on Airbnb, you have to start building your own presence on the internet, right? You have to have your own direct booking website. And then as you get your guests in there, you're remarketing to them. So you're not relying on the OTA to bring you business.
1: But Airbnb, at least I'm sure the others do it too you know will do everything they can to make sure you can't contact that guest directly and that you can't build a list and that you can't do this i mean they're they, they you know their position is this is our person yeah. we brought them to you so we own them
0: right that guest and it's smart it's smart right it's yeah. smart they keep it within their organization they keep it within their their sphere so i understand why they do that and they do an incredible job at making sure that Airbnb is the platform where you connect with the guests prior to booking. But once you book, you have access to the guests and you can communicate back and forth. And then there's tools. And this is part of the business that I was just recommending is like, once you build these systems, there's tools that automatically, as soon as you get a booking that comes in, we'll send them a link with a welcome letter. Like, hey, you know, welcome, super excited to host. Uh, click this link and give me your info so I can send you out uh, a welcome package. So and I have recommendations, the Wi-Fi password, how to get check in, blah, blah, blah. So they True. click the link and they're able to upload their their email, their their phone number, stuff like that, which will go into a CRM that you can contact later on. But Airbnb does an incredible job at keeping the communications in their platform to keep as much revenue and control around that, that right. transaction yeah. as possible.
1: Interesting. Okay. So uh, anything else we should talk about as we wrap it up? Uh, you know, any, any other aspects or issues? I was kind of thinking there was another thing I wanted to ask you about, but now I can't remember.
0: Uh, you wanted to talk about the IPO. I'm not, I'm not hundred oh. percent educated on the IPO. Oh well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just, just for a moment. So uh, last night when I spoke to your group, your mastermind group, which by the way, you run a great group, you know, you said a hundred million and it actually went down a little bit. It was at, or a bit, Billion, it was at eighty-seven billion when I looked uh, after you said that because I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, it was insane. Right. Um, you, you know, I know that they gave hosts the opportunity to like participate in that. Yeah.
0: Do you know any that did, or did you do that? Yeah. Um, so we chose we chose not to do it just for the fact that we have so much going on in our business. We're starting multiple different projects and and all of this that we decided to keep our blinders on one hundred percent into the projects mm-hmm. that we're doing. So we actually did not invest. In the IPO, um, but many of our legends um, in our our mastermind have invested in it, and we're kind of blown away at the valuation right away, and um, you know, immediately gain some equity in their investment. So, yeah, we know quite a bit of people have, and you know, when I we have a community of forty thousand short-term rental hosts from around the world, and when we asking trying to get everyone's feeling on this, you see it split down the middle. It's like everyone is like kind of like myself, which I'm I'm more than happy to invest in Airbnb and I've made lots of money with their platform and I believe in their platform. And I do believe in their leadership um, behind their vision of this company. So I'm more than happy to invest into this company. Um, and you see that people are like, Hey, I made millions of dollars with them. I'll invest in this uh, in their IPO. And then you see the other half that kind of go back to the conversation that we started with of still kind of upset with the way that they made decisions during COVID where they would never invest in the IPO. But all in all, it's going to be a successful uh, venture for them. I truly believe that. The difference, in my opinion, between Airbnb and all these other unicorn startups like Uber and WeWork well, just say Airbnb and WeWork. is Airbnb spent years building their cash reserves. So they were yeah. profitable.
1: Well, we, we work, I, we work was a scam. I saw that yeah. like 10 months before right. it all fell apart. You know, I, I just knew that was a complete scam. Uh, right. the founder was, you know, playing games with these office leases and pocketing the money. I mean, that guy's a, cr- he should go to jail, Adam, something, I can't think of his yeah. name right now, but yeah.
0: Yeah. He was a maniac. Yeah. Um, But the difference, in my opinion, between Airbnb and all these other IPOs is that they focused on understanding their customer. They focused on dominating the marketplace, but Mm -hmm. then they also focused on cash. They focused on profitability, which is I don't I didn't see any other unicorn company doing that. They just focused on scale, scale, scale. Airbnb, the, the company, is an extremely profitable company up until the last eighteen months or so. So I truly believe that this is going to be a really powerful move for them, and I think that they're going to take over a huge part of the the marketplace on a global. They own the they they own North America. I think they're with this IPO, they're going to move towards owning a big share of the the global travel industry.
1: Yeah. Do you have any um thoughts on their their side of the business? Like, are they making money? Are they burning money? What what does it look like for them? Uh, I mean it is so some of these IPOs, they're just so ridiculous. You know, I, I've had a saying for many years, and it's not exactly profound, but I guess it is nowadays. Real businesses make money. <laughs> what a concept (laughs) tell Uber and, you know, all the rest of them. I mean, it's just like these, these are totally speculative bubbles. It's just ridiculous. You know, that some of these investments.
0: Yeah. Jason, I mean, that's, that's what I preach to my mastermind. That's what we preach in the accelerator. um, And all the content I put out there from for the last two years is, the short term rental industry, no one, and you asked me in the beginning, why the, the master lease model is not a great model anymore. In my opinion, why I moved away from it. No one ever focused on profitability. They only focused on revenue and scale. How many more units can I get? How fast can I scale? That's the curse of this whole VC backed, you know, scale as fast as possible and sell. And then whoever we sell to, it's their problem to figure it out but we're going to show that this kind of works and that we're growing and we're going to only focus on revenue and scale, but not on profitability. And that's something I've been preaching. And that's what we preach over and over to our mastermind group. It's like, what, what do we have to cut back on? Where do we got to focus on driving profit first? Shameless little plug for that book, profit first. If you haven't read it, highly rec- recommend. Yeah, that
1: I don't I don't know. I wasn't that crazy about it, but yeah, yeah
0: I, I enjoy I like it because of the um the structure of it right it gives it gives startups sure. good structure behind their their financing airbnb going back to the company airbnb i think they're profitable they're moving towards uh driving more profit in their company they are taking a risky move where they're going to be charging the owner the host a bit more money for the transaction but they make a lot of money right now and they're going to be rolling out different ways of generating cash flow For the company on their platform by allowing different services, allowing upsells, allowing all of that transactions on their platform. So I think their model is solid. That's why they're doing extremely well. And I think uh, I think they're going to be around for quite some time. And I don't think we're going to see this unicorn, you know, bubble burst like we work.
1: Yeah, no. Well, no, not like that. I agree. It's, it's, you know, at least it's a real business for sure. So good, good stuff. Well, Eric, Hey, thank you for all the insights. Uh, You know, I'm glad we met a couple of years ago and uh, you know, it's just great. You're, you're really a pro and you know what's going on. So thank you for that. And um, we, we appreciate you being on and give out your website.
0: Yeah, Jason, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Um, yeah. So for, for individuals that are, you know, established in shorts and rentals, check out strlegends.com. Uh, and then for the beginners that are trying to just get started or figure out the systems, check out, uh, strprofitacademy.com. Good stuff.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Jason.